You're listening to This Is How We See It with your host, Eric Lee. The show where we say it like we see it. Welcome to the show. What you are about to listen to is an interview that I did with Dr. April Jackson James. She is the founder of the Metamorphosis Life Revitalizing Center in Tampa, Florida. And I am continuing my discussion about mental health and uh, mental illness. So take a listen. We are on the phone with Dr. April Jackson James, continuing our conversation about mental illness and mental health. Welcome to the show, Dr. April. How are you today? I am doing just fine. Thank you so much. So let me let me give everyone just a little background about you, Dr. April. So you are a licensed psychologist. You have a PhD in counseling psychology from Temple University. I do. And you uh you have a private practice called Metamorphosis Life Revitalizing Center LLC in Tampa, Florida. Is that correct? It is. Okay. It is. All right. All right. Now and as I said before, we're continuing our conversation about uh, mental illness. Um, I, I, I think, Dr. April, and I just think this is going to be a great discussion uh, today because I, mental illness is such a stigma. It's such a stigma, especially in the African-American community. Um, about mental illness and, and we'll get into get into that but um, I just want to talk about some stats uh, when I when I did some research for this uh, particular show um, and the research shows that one in five adults in the U.S. alone which is around 44 million people have a mental disorder is, is that is that correct would you say that's correct that is um, the number as it stands right now. Yes, there um, were recent data that came out um, showing exactly that, that one in five adults um, at this point in time in our country suffer with some sort of mental and I, if you could see me, you would see I'm air quoting disorder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and th- and that's that's a lot of people. Yeah, that is yes. a, lot, that's of a lot of people. Yeah, and 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 for Let me, me um, mm-hmm. can I can I add a little context to that Absolutely. number and and to my air quote? Absolutely. <laughs> um, we say, uh, we in the field say that someone has a mental disorder, if we are able to give them a diagnosis based on the most recent um, diagnostic and statistical manual, Mm -hmm. um, it's called the DSM-5, and it is the Bible of Psychiatry and Psychology. Mm -hmm. However, you need to understand that um, there are things in that book that none of us as lay people, none of us as just regular people walking around would really think of as a, as a mental disorder. So there are things in there like bereavement. Okay. You know, someone that you love um, has 
passed away, uh, gone on to be with the Lord, and you're sad about it or angry about it or whatever you feel, you could actually end up with um, a complicated bereavement diagnosis or an adjustment disorder with depressed mood diagnosis. But that person is likely to still be able to, you know, go in the kitchen and make themselves something to eat, drive their kids to school every day, uh, take a couple of days off work and then go back and work as um, maybe not quite with the vigor that they had for the first few months, but eventually with the same focus and intensity. And so that person isn't truly mentally ill, Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. though they have a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, What really constitutes an actual mental disorder is the more the more serious symptoms that people experience that stop them from being able to function mm-hmm. in their day-to-day lives. I see. So say you were a little anxious and having trouble sleeping and you were a little depressed and stressed out and then someone close to you dies and you end up in a state of bereavement. But now you're not sleeping at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now you've stopped eating altogether. And you've been in the house for three days and you haven't gotten dressed. And out of those three days, you've only taken the kids to school one day. Um, then when you stop functioning, mm-hmm. that's when it becomes something that warrants the legitimate title of uh mental disorder and even in that case eric it's probably temporary (laughs) interesting so if i if i hear you correct an emotional issue is not necessarily the same thing as having a mental disorder that is spot on accurate very interesting you can have an emotional reaction to the things that happen in life and still not have a mental disorder, again, in air quotes. That is important. That's very important to know. That is really important to know, and I'm so glad that you cleared that up because, you know, people listening might think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little sad, I'm a little blue, you know, uh, you know, do I necessarily have a mental disorder? And that is not true. What you're saying is that when a person is no longer able to function, you know, again, like you said, not eating, not being able to get out of bed not being able right. to function, you know, properly, that's when you start, you need to start at least thinking of, you know, getting some help. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Very, very good. To affect your activities of daily living and you're no longer functioning. Very good. I read um, in, in some more of my research, Dr. April, that um, a lot of homeless people, are people with mental illness that have been released from hospitals. Is that correct? They've been sort of released out on the street. Is that correct? Well, so I have two answers to that. 
the first one is that a lot of people filling up our jails also have some sort of mental illness. Mm. And so I want to extend the conversation about the homeless and talk about the people who are incarcerated as well. But yes, to an extent, that's very correct. What happened in the 1960s is that we decided that as Americans, we valued adults and their freedom more than we valued um, being able to put someone in a mental health facility to get them the help that they need. Now, when I put it like that, you know, we all, we're all aghast and our eyes are huge and we're like, how could you do that? Yeah. But what you want to keep in mind is that during that time period and prior to that time period, a family member could have someone committed to a mental health institution, um, and then it would be up to the doctors when that person got released. Sure. And there were studies that were done that um, one very famous study, uh, researchers sent graduate students into the hospital to see if the graduate students would get committed, and many of the graduate students, with working from a script as actors, got committed to the mental um, health hospital. And when they were taking notes, because you know they were taking notes because it's part of a research study, the things that would show up in their file would be things like um, the patient is participating in writing behavior. <laughs> Oh my and God. So that was a mental health symptom. Wow. <laughs> the fact that they were writing. So, so some of the backlash of how easy it was to get someone committed and to have a long term stay in a mental hospital, some of that backlash was it's gotten very difficult for people to be hospitalized when they might need it. Interesting. And remember what we said. Mental illness is actually, you know, you're experiencing a bunch of emotional and physical symptoms, and you aren't able to function. So, yes, the homeless um, have generally a place or multiple places in their lives where they stop functioning. And there was no safety net there to catch them. Sure. And our hospitals aren't permitted to keep us, um, but for so long. Yeah. Um, because of the backlash of what used to happen. Sure. Very interesting. Wow. That's <laughs> that's that's some good information. I was I was um I was thinking trying to think back um and 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 even recently. In the news, there have been instances of, and, I, and I'll just name a couple. Uh, if you remember the husband that walked into the elementary school in San Bernardino, California, and opened fire, killing his wife and a uh, eight-year-old, I think, little girl. Um, another man mad at his girlfriend randomly shoots el- elderly man in the head, and he put it live on Facebook Live. Um, Dylan Roof, we all remember Dylan Roof, how he walked into the black church in Charleston, South Carolina and opened fire 
uh, killing all but one person. And my question to you, Dr. April, is why are so many people sort of snapping now? Why are we seeing it? Has it always been? And it's just it just hasn't been. You know, everybody has a phone now. You know, everybody can, you know, right, it's recording right. things. Is that right. the reason or is it really that that people are, are, are kind of becoming unhinged now? Well, what you need to know about mental illness is that, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. Absolutely. All, because we're human, um, end up with a sickness that affects our mind, affects our brain, okay? It's possible for all of us. And I think it's true that human beings have always that mm-hmm. there's always been murder there have always been um just horrible atrocities that we wonder you know how is an entire generation of human beings capable of you know a holocaust or uh the slave trade or any one of a number um of horrific genocides that have occurred um human beings are capable of some pretty extreme things However, in our country, what I will say is that more recently, yes, we have cable television and now we have the Internet. And so we know more than we used to know about how often it occurs. Sure. But also, in 2007, we had a huge financial crisis in this country. Mm Mm-hmm. And what happened is that people who otherwise may have just been prone to stress or may have just needed some help or might have just not had enough family social support or may have needed an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety pill or something to that effect, these individuals, um, again, without a safety net of um, support, counseling, medication, doctor's interventions worsened over a period of time where our country was under a lot of stress. Yeah. Before the 2007 crash, there was September 11, 2001. Yep, I remember that well. So everyone around us is more stressed, which means our social support may be less of and the people who are more susceptible to mental illness actually get worse than they would have been when society isn't there to catch them. Interesting. And I think that in addition to, you know, blaming cable and the Internet, we have to understand that when our systems in our society don't work, our most vulnerable people um, fall between the cracks and there's more mental illness and in some cases more violence. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't say... Dr. April... Mentally uh, ill. Go ahead. um, Let me... uh, We have to take a break. Uh, We'll be right back in a moment. You're listening to This Is How We See It. What a little brown maverick. Is winking her eyes. She said, Oh, what a beautiful moon. 
We are back. Thanks for coming back with us. Talking today with Dr. April Jackson James about uh, mental uh, disorders and and mentally and mental illness. And you were saying before we went to break, we were. My question to you, Dr. April, was why are so many people snapping? And you were you were explaining about the different pressures, nine eleven, the the two thousand and seven. Um, economy uh, crash crash yeah. yeah and so uh, just just continue on what you were saying so what I was saying was um, in addition to families and communities being um, less able to help when we're under those kinds of stressors we've always we've also been at war for the past 16 years sure. and, and, and that affects our society as well you know our mothers and fathers being been away from families, but I would be remiss if I did not say that the mentally ill are actually a very, very vulnerable population, and they are more likely to be the victims of violent crime than they are to be the perpetrators. Of ah, crime. okay. Mm-hmm. The the I the very sensational um, incidents that we've talked about here. Those are sort of outliers. Ah, okay. And um, I want to turn something on its head that I said earlier about, you know, you, you have these emotions. There's a certain form of depression, a certain um, way that we isolate people in our country that can breed rage within a vulnerably a mentally vulnerable person and what we see sometimes is if we don't catch a depression Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. intervene if it's just allowed to sort of fester or if we feed it with hate and um a lack of social support that people will snap you know we if you stretch anything in, in, in the world to its limit, it can snap. Sure. hundred year oak trees fall down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, people do too. Interesting. So what are some of the signs? Now we talked about just because you have an emotional issue, you're dealing with an emotional issue doesn't necessarily mean that you have a mental illness. So we talked about that. So tell us what the signs are or some of the signs that someone may have a mental disorder. Definitely. So some of them I've, I've sort of sprinkled into the conversation. Sure. Things like bad mood, you know, would go along with the depression. Um, but other symptoms would be, you know, you're just not interested in the things that you used to be interested in. Um, a, a young person who used to love to go out and see their friends is now just holed up in their room all the time with the lights off and um, doesn't care to go out and see the people that they used to care about. Um, your eating might be disturbed, so you could overeat or not have an appetite at all and lose or gain a significant amount of weight. Mm-hmm. Not being able to sleep. Um, if someone, you know, in your household is, is up all night and they're tossing and they're turning and they, you hear them in the kitchen and you hear them back and forth to the bathroom and you hear them turn the TV on and off or the stereo on and off and they're not sleeping at all, that's a 
that's a problematic sign. Mm-hmm. Um, the inability to concentrate, focus, um, that one is a big deal because that is actually one of the ones where people stop functioning because they just can't focus on things like paying their bills or, you know, organizing the, the, the day-to-day family and, and work demands that they have. These are all sort of symptoms of depression that I've named. And when it gets more serious, even things like suicidal thoughts, yeah. thinking you might be better off if you were dead or um, thinking of dying and being extremely afraid because you don't want to die. Mm-hmm. You have reasons to live, but the thoughts won't go away Sure, um, in a more serious form of depression. Um, that can occur, along with what we normally think of as mental illness, psychotic symptoms, um, seeing things that other people don't see, hearing things that other people don't hear. Um, it can affect other senses. You can have a taste that's actually not really there. Or you can smell things that others don't smell, and, and, and there's nothing there actually causing that what we call olfactory smell hallucination. Interesting. Um, now, I've but, never but heard of that. That's the more serious yeah. okay. part of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, um, now this is a question that I that I have, and and I've wondered about for so long. Are people required? Say, for instance, that you are about to marry someone. Are people legally required, or should they be? legally required to disclose their mental state to a potential spouse? Well, I will say the short answer to that question is no, you're not required. Hmm. There's nothing that says if you've been diagnosed with schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or depression or PTSD that you have to tell someone that you, um, are planning to marry. The second part of that question, though, is, you know, should they be required? What I would say is, if you're marrying someone, this person is obviously going to be a part of your social support system. This person is going to stand between you and some sort of decompensation that could lead you to, um, as we've been talking about, to losing your job or to homelessness or to um, this is the person who might be able to get you to a doctor when it's necessary. Mm -hmm. So disclosing to that person that you have some symptoms and that there are things going on is not just kind to that person, giving them a chance to um, decide to get into a marriage like that, but it's smart. Sure. For the individual with the symptoms, because then their their immediate support system is ready to help them if they start slipping some way. And of course, that, you know, one of the reasons I'm sure why people do not tell is because of the negative stigma that comes with uh, mental illness. And as I said before, especially in the African-American community, you know, there is a negative stigma. We shun mental illness. We, you know, it's, 
and 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 part of it and, and I'm no doctor of course you're the doctor here but I, I think it's because of and you correct me if I'm wrong is that you know we have to show strength you know we have to show power and I think that because we look at mental illness as this you know this negative thing that's one of the reasons why it's sort of it's sort of shunned would you say that that's accurate I would I would actually I've heard you know people say to each other you know just in in hey we're all hanging out together having fun talk you know Girl, stop complaining. Dude, you know, quit Mm -hmm. complaining. Quit Mm -hmm. whining. You know, if nobody's, you know, making you pick cotton at 12 noon in July, you know, what are you complaining about? Right. It's almost as though we believe that having a full range of emotion, having a human reaction to the many stressors of life, like, it's almost as though we believe we're not allowed sure. to experience that exactly. and show that. And I will say to you, it actually makes us a little more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about the big oak tree that, you know, falls down during a storm, right? Well, I live down in Florida, and, and we have palm trees, and a hurricane comes, and those things just lean. Oh yeah! And when the hurricane's over, you can tie them back up in the palm tree. Exactly. Exactly. You know, sometimes strength is overrated. Yeah. 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 It's it's part of the reason you break, right? Sometimes if you just let it out and have a good cry, yeah. Um, you know, scream to the top of your lungs, then you you release and you can go on a little longer and and continue to function. There are certain things that happen to us. Where, the, where it's actually more concerning. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. It's actually more of a mental health concern when certain traumas or tragedies happen if you don't have an emotional reaction. Absolutely. That Absolutely. can also be a symptom that something is very, very wrong. If Absolutely. you don't experience emotion, um, or show the emotion, and definitely not seeking help can lead to much, much more vulnerable. Hmm. You mentioned earlier on uh, in the interview about um, people being able to commit other people to uh, psychiatric hospitals. Um, I, is is that still uh, a practice? Is that still legal or no? Most states have a law, and it is different in every state. So people, you know, would need to do a quick Google on, you know, committing someone to a psychiatric hospital. But most states have a law that says if you are working with someone or you're a family member or you have a friend who is a danger to themselves or someone else, that you can... Um, at least have them evaluated um, against their will um, in an emergency room or at a mental health evaluation center. And what that sometimes looks like is they go in front of a, um, a judge and get committed for uh, 48 or 72 hours, 
or it may just be that they present themselves or the police present them in the ER and someone does a quick evaluation and says, no, you're okay. Um, but yes, you, you can get the ball rolling, but no one person can say, you know, my husband, my wife, my child needs to be committed. Um, what they can say is, I think this person is a danger to themselves, mm-hmm. going to hurt themselves, uh, commit suicide. I think this person is a danger to other people, uh, you know, is, is talking about shooting up the post office or sure. something like that. And then it is up to the authorities and the professionals at whatever psychiatric facility the authorities take them to to do a full evaluation and, and see if the person is um, a safety hazard. But that is the standard, a danger okay. to yourself or someone else. All right, we'll take another break. We'll be right back in just a moment talking to Dr. April back in a moment. But a little brown maverick is winking her eyes. She said, oh, what a beautiful morning. We are back. Thanks for coming back with us. Continuing our conversation with Dr. April about mental illness. The question that I asked her before we went to break was about being able to commit someone to a uh, psychiatric hospital. She gave us uh, that it's, you know, it, 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 it takes more. You just can't walk up and say, I want somebody committed. You know, the, there, there are things that happen. There, there are tests. Well, not tests, but, you know, there are um, what do you call them, Dr. There Abel? are some tests. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So let me ask you this. So what do you do if you think someone is in need of psychiatric help and they don't want to get it? So you just, and, and I think you kind of, you mentioned that you just say, hey, I think this person may be a danger to his or herself. And then you let the, the professionals kind of evaluate. Now, that's if you think that the person is about to harm themselves or someone else, right? So, so those are the most extreme cases, right? Um, someone's going to commit suicide or like the, the Dylan Roof situation that we talked about or the man who went to the elementary school and killed his wife and a young child, right? So if you, if you caught that person ahead of time and thought that this was a possibility, then you can actually dial 911 and mm-hmm. let the police know, and, and they'll handle it from there. Um, you'll have to give them some proof about, about why you think what you think. But in less serious cases where you're seeing someone who may just be agitated, may just be really anxious or nervous or um, has a startle response that seems out of place, for what's going on in the situation. You know, they're, they're jumpy and um, they seem a little more irritable than usual. You know, these are, these are all anxiety symptoms or the depression symptoms that we talked about earlier. If you, if you notice that someone you love or care about or work with or a friend of yours is experiencing symptoms like this, then the kind and loving thing to 
do is to ask them how they're doing mm-hmm. and if you can help. Um, and help in a situation like this where you feel like, you know, the person is struggling is maybe just sitting down with them and doing a quick Google search on um, finding a psychologist hmm. or doing a quick um, phone call with them to their primary care provider and setting up a time where you could actually drive them to that appointment to help them, you know, explain to the doctor what's going on. Interesting. Um, and I, and I want to reiterate that this is what you do when it's not extreme, mm-hmm. right? when the person is just struggling and you want to see about how to get them some help. This would be a situation where it might not even be mental illness. Right. It might be one of those reactions to something bad that's happened in their lives. Um, and you, as a loving family member or friend, just support them in trying to get them some help. Interesting. So I want to switch gears now because um, (laughs) in the African-American community, in most African-American communities, um, you know, church and and spirituality is very important to us. And sometimes I think that, you know, people uh, think that uh, and, and, and I don't want to sound, you know, like insensitive about it. But my question to you is. Can you pray mental illness away? And, I, and, and I'm a believer. I know that God can do anything. But I think that having that kind of mindset is sort of dangerous, you know, that, that we'll just pray about it, you know, and that we'll believe yeah. and we'll believe God and, you know, you'll, you'll be all right, you know, or, or we just need to cast that demon out, you know. Um, Can you pray mental illness away? Well, the short answer to that is, like you, I believe that God can do anything, but I do believe that he has prescribed ways of doing things. Sure. And um, I'll give a little example. The prescribed way to keep my car running is to put gas in it and make sure I change it. (laughs) Absolutely. It is not to go in my driveway and pray over my car. Exactly. Right? Okay. So our health and our mental health is very similar. It is not that God can't help you feel better. But I think we all have to be open that when we have a headache, God has provided, you know, acetaminophen and ibuprofen. Absolutely. God has provided water. Um, And it's not as though... We have to pray away every headache that comes our way. When we're depressed, when we're anxious, if, God forbid, we're having more serious symptoms of suicide or hallucinations or delusions, uh, feeling like we're being persecuted or someone is after us when they're really not, when things get serious or less serious but overwhelming, then God has provided for us professionals who are there to support and help. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean you have to take medicine, and it doesn't mean you don't pray. Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You never, you know, boot your prayer life to the side. Absolutely. It just means 
that there are things that are available that may come your way when you pray or someone may mention them to you, and those things may actually be God saying, hey, this might help you, child, right? Um, and so, no, I'm not one of those people who believes you <laughs> put the person on the altar and that's right, all they do. Right, right. I believe you put them on the altar, you support them, you call them, you see what they need, you get them in front of a professional and you help them make good, wise, godly decisions about what they need when they're having serious symptoms. And it doesn't mean that your faith, that you don't have faith either. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, exactly. if I go to the, if I go to a doctor or someone, you know, I, I don't have faith. And, and it doesn't mean that at all. Um, you, uh, Dr. April, are a Christian psychologist. And, and there are many more. You're in Tampa, Florida. I encourage everyone to uh, look you up and, and we'll get your information uh, before we uh, get off the air. But absolutely, there are Christian psychologists that people can can go to people, you know, faith, you know, Bible believing doctors <laughs> that, you know, people can go to if they feel that they need help. Yes, that is very true. There are people who are believers who also can teach you a skills. Sometimes the skills are um, biblical in nature. There are a lot of things in the Bible that look like cognitive behavioral therapy to me. Mm -hmm. I I start Mm -hmm. laughing every Mm -hmm. time Mm -hmm. I see someone write up, um, you know, the speaking those things that are not as though they were. Absolutely. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a Bible verse. Sure, um, sure. But there's also, you know, there are mantras that we in cognitive behavioral therapy have people say to themselves every day, um, like, I am strong, mm-hmm. and I can make it through this struggle, and I have the skills to make it through this struggle. And sometimes we're saying those things and we don't believe them. Well, to me, that's just biblical. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so they're not they're not mutually exclusive. They're they can be integrated um, extremely well. And I have found over my many decade career that they are integrated very well. Interesting. I was um, I was watching The View a couple of months ago and Holly Robinson Pete. Uh, I don't know if you uh, know her, remember her. She's an actress. Okay. Mm -hmm. She has a son who is, who has autism and he's 16 years old. And she, she, she talked about something that I have never even thought about. And I wanted to get your opinion on it. She was saying that he just turned 16 and he got his driver's license. And so they bought him a, 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 a car And, you know, her and her husband being affluent, you know, I think it was so I think it was a BMW or something like that. And she said that she worried that um, that his interaction with police as being a, a young black male, she was concerned that if he ever encounters um, a, a police officer, that that the police officer would not know how to deal with someone who has autism. And, and, and it, I kind of it made me think about what training does or do or should 
police officers have, you know, to deal with someone who has a a mental disorder. And and I thought about all of the police shootings and I thought about what if what if someone that they came in contact with, what if that person had a mental disorder and they just didn't know they thought the person was being, you know, uh, rude or nasty or whatever. But what or non-compliant. If, exa- or non-compliant. Yeah. But what if it was really some type of mental illness and they didn't know how to deal with it? Well, I think it would be wonderful if our um, police officers were required to have um, extensive training in mental health. And I say that actually not as um, a criticism. Mm-hmm. But the thing that happened, and I mentioned it at the beginning of our interview, the, the, the thing that happened when we sort of closed the doors to our mental health hospitals is we put our police on the front line yeah, yeah. with people who have mental disorders. And so our, our prisons and our jails are filled with people who um, have various um, mental health conditions, and and autism is a special case, right? It's a special case where someone may not respond to you at all um, exactly. if, if they're pretty severe, or even recognize that you're in the room mm-hmm. if they're pretty severe on the autism spectrum. Now, someone who's capable of getting a driver's license is probably on the higher functioning end of the autism spectrum, but generally um, that can come with anxiety. Mm -hmm. It might come with a slower processing speed, meaning I hear you, but the time between me hearing you and my brain being able to produce the response that you asked for is lower in me than it would be in someone who wasn't on the autism spectrum. Absolutely. Or um, slow processing speed is, 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 it shows up in just some basic learning disabilities and sometimes even with um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, kids can just have a slow processing speed. I heard you, it just takes me a long time to sort of pull out of what I'm doing and for my brain to process this new thing that you've asked of me. Exactly. Um, and that can be the difference between life or death. Absolutely. If our police officers aren't trained. So long answer to say, yes, oh my goodness, I wish that they all had um, training about the possibility that not everyone is being non-compliant. Exactly. Exactly. And and is isn't it true that some uh, autistic people, they don't like loud noises. And, and I just think about if the police are yelling and screaming at them, you know, get out of the car, get out of the car. You know how frightening that could be and how confusing that could be to someone with autism. Correct. Loud noises, the flashing light mm-hmm, mm-hmm. might disturb them. Um, like I said, if the person is able to get a driver's license, they're probably on the higher end of the spectrum, but still it is highly likely that they have sensitivity um, to 
sound to um, visual stimuli that would make an interaction with the police more difficult than it would even for you and me. Um, and again, I'll just throw oh, wow. out the sensitivities sometimes produce themselves um, as a state of anxiety. Sure. Mm-hmm. And if I'm anxious and you're barking orders at me, I don't even have to have autism right. to move a little slower and to be a little afraid of how to respond. My mind could go blank, and I don't know what to do. Exactly. You know, um, and I, you know, I want to be sensitive to the fact that someone who isn't immediately complying does or could present a danger sure. to a police officer. Absolutely, sure. But I believe that if we could just train a little better, then we could, you know, dial back some of the fear in our officers and, you know, give people with autism or other learning disorders or mental health, emotional disorders, a fighting chance. You know. Very good. Yeah, I, I I heard her talk about that, and it just opened up a new uh, thing for me. I just never thought about maybe, and I'm not saying all of them, but maybe some of them may have, you know, some type of mental disorder or, and I'm not saying all of them are, but I'm just saying it could be that some of them, you know, might might have one. We're going to take another break. We'll be right back in just a moment. Stay right with us. But a little brown maverick. His wink in her eyes She said, oh, what a beautiful morning Still talking to Dr. April about mental illness and and mental disorders. Dr. April, we talked about the negative stigma that um, that is on mental illness. And and as I said before, especially in the African-American community, how can we get rid of that? Yes, um, I. I am dedicating my life, my career, to helping our community get rid of the stigma. I think that with education, helping people understand that the symptoms I'm experiencing don't necessarily mean that I am mentally ill, right? Helping that knowledge get out there into the community is really important. Also, helping people understand that just because I might have had, you know, a three-month period where I was so depressed that I was barely functioning Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I'm going to be that depressed for the rest of my life. Sure. doesn't mean that you can't count on me and that I can't, you know, still be the head of the PTA and and sing the solo in the the church choir, right? Like, I can still take care of my kids, even though I might have had a bout of depression or I might be a little nervous. Um, Helping people understand that it doesn't mean that their entire lives are stamped with weakness Mm -hmm. or an inability to 
dysfunction or that something's wrong with me and you can no longer count on me in a crisis, but that human beings have emotions and that we have reactions to traumas and bad things that happen. And um, because of a history of slavery and because sometimes grandma's cooking wasn't always the healthiest thing that we ate, <laughs> right. we are predisposed right. to some things that can make us a little tender emotionally or make our nerves a little tender. And that it doesn't mean that with exercise, uh, regular sleep, better eating, a good support system, a visit to a counselor or a physician, that we can't function fully in our everyday lives and excel and still be the best that we can be. Absolutely. Um, I think radio shows like this and me getting up in front of people and just saying it over and over again, having these symptoms, even having a full diagnosis is not a death sentence. Absolutely. You are still able to function and to be amazing, even if you've been diagnosed with something. And I'm going to confess something, and I wasn't, I, I wasn't going to say this <laughs> on the show, but I'm going to confess something. I used to be someone who did not believe that mental illness was, was a thing. Like I, 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 yeah, I, I, and I'm going to confess that I used to think that, oh, someone's just playing crazy. You know, I would say things, you know, like that, that someone wants attention, that someone wants, uh. you know, that someone is, is just, you know, trying to, to, to get something. And I have come, the older I get talking to doctors like you, uh, watching, uh, you know, pr- uh, television shows about things that mental illness is is real, and and I and I bet you there are a lot of people out there, Doctor April, who probably thought the same thing that I used to. That you know, it's 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 a hoax. You know, people are just you know, oh, or, or you're just fragile. You know, oh, everyone is fragile. Right. But it's a but it's a real thing, and and I had to really understand that. It is. It is. It is a real, mental illness is a real thing, not just in the black community, but all across our, our country. And knowing that it exists and knowing that there is help for it is extremely important for all of us. So I am happy that there have been television shows that, you know, you and others out there could watch and see that, whoa, wait, there are, there are people out there who are really struggling and there is help available. Absolutely. Um, I want to switch gears a bit before uh, I let you go. And I want to talk about ADHD. And um, first of all, what is ADHD? Well, ADHD used to be thought of strictly as a behavior disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, the hyperactive child who can't sit still mm-hmm. or the daydreaming child who's not paying attention when their parents call or not paying attention in class. But what we've come to find out over the past few decades is that ADHD is actually a neurological disorder. Hmm. It has to do with the way our brain is hardwired 
and the way our brain um, takes in and processes um, information. Um, and some people have trouble not creating shortcuts. Hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. <laughs> the ADHD brain is a shortcut brain, hmm. which when you have a whole lot of things to do, um, can actually be very adaptive and very helpful. Right. 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 <laughs> but when you're just throwing the homework that you finished down in the book bag and then unable to find it the next day is not very adaptive at sure, all, right? Sure, so, sure, sure. So, but it is a neurological disorder. It is not a behavioral disorder, although it does manifest in adults and in children through their behavior. Ah. Um, the long and short of it is ADHD is um, a diagnosis of inattention, of hyperactivity, and or of impulsivity, but it has to do with the way that the brain is hardwired. Very interesting. Dr. April, we are out of time. It has been such a pleasure, <laughs> a pleasure oh, to talk to you. And, and I really hope, here. I really hope that people that are listening to this will, uh, that, that, the, and I'm sure they've gotten something out of it. Tell us how we can reach you, Dr. April. Well, the website at the office is betteronpurpose.com, all one word, B-E-T-T-E-R-O-N-P-U-R-P-O-S-E.com, betteronpurpose.com. And you can actually email me at Dr. J, D-R-J, at betteronpurpose.com. Um, our offices are in Tampa, Florida, and I have a license in the state of North Carolina and in the state of Florida, and so we can provide treatment in those places. But I also support people and help them find treatment in their own areas. And um, our counselors here at Metamorphosis are happy to help people um, all across the country to find um, the services that they may need in their community. Well, again, Dr. April, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. We, I, I, I got to have you back. And, and, and I don't oh, know why. I'd love to. For me, it's this, this, this mental illness thing for me and mental disorder thing for me. It's very important. And, I, you know, I, I don't really know why it is, but I feel very passionate about people getting the help that they need for this. Yes, as do I. No need to suffer alone. There's help available. Dr. April, thank you again for being on the show. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right. So what you just heard is the interview that I did with uh, Dr. April jackson james and um it was a great interview um i i especially liked when she was talking about um that just because you have a that you're dealing with like an emotional thing there's a difference between 
you know, having an emotional issue and having a mental illness, basically yeah. is what she was saying. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that um, just because, you know, for instance, you know, your mom died. Well, you're going to be kind of emotional, right. you know, for, you know, two, maybe three day, people grieve in their own, you know, uh, way. But you're probably going to be emotional about that for a while. Right. But that does not mean that you have an, a mental illness. Now, what she said and what stood out to me was, was if when you are no longer able to function, say, for instance, you ain't got out of bed in three or four days. Yeah. You know, or uh, you can't sleep. She said that not being able to sleep is a that's a telltale sign of mental illness. And she said, I remember my grandmother used to say that she used to say that people that walked and paced back and forth. She was just kidding. I thought she was just kidding, but she used to always say people that walk a lot, they can't sit down. She said something might be a little, you know, wrong with them. Yeah. She called it something else. Well, yeah, she called it something else, but, Mm -hmm. and what, that's what Dr. Uh, April was saying. She was saying that, you know, you hear people up late at night walking around, yeah. you know, uh, cutting on the TV, cutting off the TV. Yeah. You know, she said that that is a telltale, not being able to sleep is a telltale sign of someone might. Now, that's different from insomnia. You know, yeah. some people might have insomnia, yeah. but um, but but you need to go see a doctor. You need to, you know, go see someone uh, professionally to determine whether or not you just have insomnia or, you know, you might have a mental disorder yeah. and, and that, you know, just because you're dealing with, with, with an issue doesn't mean you have a mental illness. Right. And that's why you, it's important to go to people like her. She's in the Tampa, the Tampa, Florida um, area. So I encourage everybody to go. Uh, if you need to go see someone to um, go see Dr. April James at the Metamorphosis Life Revitalizing Center. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing is um, that just because you've been diagnosed with a mental illness, it doesn't mean that you're nothing. You know, a lot of people think, you know, I'm, I, I have a mental illness. I have a, a disorder. So, you know, I'm nothing. And she was saying you can still function. Right. You can still function with it. You know, take care of your kids, take care of your house, your daily duties. Right. Yeah. Right. Some people can. Now, mm-hmm. if you can't, then, you know, you definitely that, right. There might be help. some serious um, mm-hmm. stuff going on. Uh, but anyway, that's the, all the time that we have for today. We thank you for tuning in. We'll see you and next time. Right Bye by. for now. But a little brown maverick is winking her eyes. She said, oh, what a beautiful